Will he find faith on earth? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. We have been journeying through Luke's gospel for, well, much of the last year, actually. And in Luke's gospel, there's this consistent, steady beating of a familiar drum. This melodical and steady beat moves from one story to another story where Jesus encounters people who live vulnerable existences on this earth. He encounters the disheartened, the disinherited, the disabled, the dishonest, the unjust, and the disenfranchised. He has been with people who have been physically, relationally, literally, and spiritually pushed and forced to live on the edges of their communities, religious and otherwise. And this week's story is no exception. Here he uses the life of a woman, a widow, in a parable to speak about prayer, persistence, and justice. Now, widows in the scriptures were often listed among the orphans and the foreigners. And this tells us clearly that the world in Jesus' day felt less obligated to care for her or those like her, to protect her, to honor her, much less to listen to her. She had no voice. She had no power. Now, her problem is that someone, for reasons not made clear, is treating her unjustly. And even if the parable doesn't bother to tell us specifically what it was was being done to her, we can tell, we can see that the judge's response, that she had little power. The judge's response had been to show that there was no reason to act upon her complaints. There was little systemic or social pressure upon him to listen to her, for a while that is. Yet she persists. She kept coming back, saying she deserved to be treated fairly. Now this, is, this parable is much like, it reminds me of the parable of the shrewd manager in that Jesus takes a less than stellar human being and tries to teach us something about God. If you're not familiar with the shrewd manager story, you can find that, look that up and read that this week. This man in this story is not afraid of God. He's not afraid of anyone, he says. Clearly, that's because he's a judge, and anyone who might come up against him, well, he would hold great power over them. He need fear no one. So in fearing no one, divine or mortal, he ignores her request over and again, and he does it for a long time, yet finally he grows weary of it. He grows tired of it, and it causes him to act. He addresses her because he's tired of hearing her complaining. He relents because he no longer wants to be, to be bothered. But it's more than an annoyance. Because if you read the original Greek, one of the ways you could translate part of verse 5 is to say that she was giving him a black eye. And I don't mean literally. 
or physically, what's happening is he's now worried because he's beginning to look bad in front of others because he's not helping. He doesn't want to look bad in front of his constituents. So Jesus may have had in mind anyone who does not want public perception of them to be tarnished as a motivation. Therefore, if he could give her what she wanted, maybe this would keep her quiet and, and maybe it could benefit him too. It's interesting that Jesus, as I mentioned, would consider this as the person to teach us something about God or, or what it means to be a prayerful people. In no way can we see this judge as moral. He's unethical. He's unjust. He's worse than the shrewd manager, if you ask me, by far. He may have doled out justice for her, but at the end of the day, it seems he's, it's still a rather self-serving deal for him to look good. Yes, verse 7 and 8 do imply that both the judge and God are in the position of exacting justice. And there is a comparison between the two, but it has its limits. And if we read closely, the unjust judge and God are very different from one another. These verses read, Won't God provide justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he be slow to help them? I tell you, he will give justice quickly. In other words, Jesus' rhetorical questions can be changed to a statement. If this unjust judge can finally come to see that justice should be given to her, how much more will God be willing to do this? Much more. But these words bring us to a point that I always have to pause and I struggle with in this story and in this promise of God's quick justice. Justice does not always come quickly. Justice not, does not often come quickly. For those who pray to God to be helped when the, unworld, when the world treats them unjustly. Considering the periods of time that we can wait for suffering, illness, or injustices to end in this life. Considering that injustice comes for too many for their whole lives. These words of Jesus, dare I say, sometimes feel like they might fall a little, a little short of the promise. This parable serves us well. And it encourages us to persist in advocacy and calls for justice, demands for them. But that suggests that God will act quickly. It causes me to pause and ask harder questions. Is this true? I've also considered it in this way. Sometimes I wish my prayers would lead to more predictable and instant outcomes. There are days I pray for healing and I pray for it to come quickly. And it does not. I wish my prayers today for a more just world would show me walking out of this place and seeing the world more just than it was yesterday. I don't believe that might happen today. What do I do with that? What do I do with this promise? Injustice and corruption continue to lead to suffering. We can pray a thousand times a day, every day in a year, and our prayers sometimes do not produce what we want. 
There will be and there are those today in our world who will face injustice to their dying days. So how can we reconcile? How can we make sense of this promise? It bears remembering, I believe, that Luke's gospel keeps on beating this drum that began with Mary's song. Remember Mary's song. If you haven't read that one, go back and read that too. You'll find the very first part of Luke. She sings a song about Jesus is coming into the world and, and what he would do. And she tells us that Jesus will come and he will fill the bellies of those who are hungry. He will bring down those with power who use that power to wield it over and cause others to suffer. That's what his coming meant. Yet we all know those faithful, loving, praying people who are still waiting. I hike the hills of eastern Kentucky ever so often. I love going there. Those are the same hills that inspired Wendell Berry to dedicate his life. Imploring us to take care of creation. It's the only one we got. On my bookshelf and in my Kindle library are the names of those like Howard Thurman, Martin Luther King Jr., Rachel Held Evans, St. Teresa of Calcutta. All of them have gone on to glory. And their messages of peace and justice have yet to come to full fruition. These are all people we know because they persisted in their demands in their lives. That we treat every human being with dignity and as the very image of God. Each one of them reminds me every week that persistent drumbeat of Mary's song is still with us. That God will bring down the powerful and lift up the lowly and it's still beating. But there are times that I want to lose heart. And I know I'm not the only one. I can have a hard time reading today's passage when it gets to these closing words of Jesus. It can feel unjust to tell people to pray and God will act quickly on your behalf. But knowing they're probably going to have to wait. Help does not always come quickly. And it can be disheartening except... Let's go back to the very first verse of this passage. Jesus says, He told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. These three words, I think, do not lose heart, provide a much needed under context to understand our parable today. Jesus is acknowledging that life can cause us to lose heart. Jesus at one point expresses his own loss of heart from the cross, wondering if God had, for, had forsaken him. Prayer in this context is not only about changing things. Prayer is also about being sustained as we wait. Now, quickly, without delay. The widow, the leper, the sinner, the outcast, you and me, sometimes can have every reason to give up and lose heart. They were promised no future. The world was against them. There was little around them that told them that anything was ever going to change. Except that is, every time Jesus showed up. Because when Jesus showed up, they shouted for mercy. They shouted for joy. They saw that they were children of God and they demanded to be treated fairly. They refused. They persisted. They demanded this. 
And this tells us much about how Jesus inspires and inspired. But it also reflects the entire movement of the canon of the Gospels and of the Scriptures, of God's consistent willingness to redeem and to restore and to provide for the oppressed. Jeremiah reminds us that for the oppressed, God desires they flourish and do well, and so should we. Jonah reminds us that the worst of us can repent. The worst of us can take responsibility for ourselves, and we can always change course. The psalmist David, who was not perfect, he gives us a place to shout out our laments with song. He reminds us that God is with us, will help us overcome all things and invite us to sing the lyrics. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. This is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived me. I don't think that Jesus meant to say that if we are persistent in prayer, that struggles will always end immediately. We still live in a world where we have to be persistent before people will act justly. And we will live in a world where disease and natural disaster will will devastation. And one day, God's kingdom will come in its fullness and there will be no more tears. There will be no more weeping. But today may not be that day. But until then, good things do happen. We can indeed convince those with power to do what is right even if they're not inclined to do so. God's goodness is visible, miracles happen, and love wins days and moments. And I believe that Jesus is saying that prayer, persistent prayer, reminds us that God is with us. And this knowledge is how we never lose heart. Keep doing the hard things. This is not easy. This is not to say that we simply accept struggles as, well, this is just the way the world is. We should never grow comfortable. We should never minimize suffering. It matters. Injustice has no place in the world, not in God's kingdom. Perhaps you know what it's like to lose heart. Maybe you've been praying a long time for something or someone to, to change and to be better. And you're still waiting. If so, and if your prayers feel like nothing is happening, please know you're doing nothing wrong. Keep praying. Keep speaking. Keep expecting better. We still live in a broken world with broken people. And sometimes there are many in our world who do not fear God just like the judge didn't. Don't be at loose heart. Be persistent in prayer. Trust that God is with you. Without a doubt, it's difficult to hear messages that tell us prayers will be answered and quickly. Even so, as Kimberly Bracken Long reminds us, it is necessary continually and actively to pray. When tragedies befall us, there must be an active faith at work. Faith that is lived as we strive toward the coming reign of God, she says. And when we do this, hope remains alive. And we can sing, even with faltering or weeping voices, our God, our help in ages past, our hopes for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast in our eternal home. Over the years of her work among the poorest in the world, Teresa of Calcutta, St. Mother Teresa, of course, 
worked hard to raise money for her cause in Calcutta. She was famous for this and, and how good she was at it. Now, if you're not familiar, Calcutta, uh, after the violence caused during the partition of India, became the destination point for hundreds of thousands of Hindus. It received millions of refugees from Pakistan. Labor issues and military movements led to intense poverty and unrest, and it was referred to as a dying city because there was no hope for it, at least for anyone but Teresa. She dedicated her life to this work. And sometimes if you read her memoir, she lost hope. She lost faith in God, a deep sense of loss at times. But she kept working. One story told of her, she was to go to New York and talk to some presidents of some larger companies. Before the meeting, the two executives knew what was coming, they, and they told her, said, we'd love to have you, we're going to sit down with you, but just know we don't have any funding to give you right now and to help in your work. We love your work, but we can't help right now. So she came, and she arrived, and she sat at a big mahogany desk across from them. And they listened to her pleas, and just as they said, when it came time to, for the ask, they said, we appreciate you, we just don't have any funding for now. She said, well, let's us pray. Dear God, I pray that you will soften the hearts of these men to see how necessary it is they help your needy children. Amen. She lifted her head up and she began to talk and, and plead her case again. And once again, they came back to her that there was no funding to help with now. She goes, you know what? Let us pray. Dear God, I pray that you will soften the hearts of these men to see how necessary it is to help their needy children. Amen. And she looked up and two beet red faced executives were writing checks across the table. They knew, they knew, as the unjust judge knew, that she was going to keep coming back. And if St. Teresa comes and you say no, you better get an ice pack for your eye. It's not going to look good. And they changed. Willingly? I don't know. But does that matter? Prayer and persistence, it will change us, it will move us. It will bring about change in our world that is much needed. And when we pray, may we remember that we are not alone in our problems. We're not alone in the struggle. God is there. God is here to help us, to strengthen us and encourage us and even console us when we lose heart. And it seems important to say that prayer did not just change the unjust judge in the story. It changed her. She was empowered in, in a world that did not see her as empowered. She kept doing what she was doing. Prayer reminded her that even if the world did not value her, God did. She, despite people like the judge, knew she mattered. And the hope we have in God is different than the hope we have in the world. Sure, the world fails us, but God doesn't. So what, does, what ways does God call us to speak or to listen or to strive for justice today? How might our prayers need to bother some in this world until they come to see the good news? What are the persistent voices today that we hear? What do we hear in our world? What do we hear the cries for justice today? Do those voices annoy us? Do those voices move us? Well, how does God hear the voices that we hear? 
God hears the cries of the helpless and the hurting and is merciful. May all the voices that cry out today, and maybe especially those that might want to annoy us, move us. The world is always slow to respond. We can be slow to respond. God is never slow to respond. God is quick. God is merciful. And the widow today implores us. So must we. Amen.